0: You can open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and uh, as we do that, let's ask the Lord for guidance this morning. Heavenly Father, you, you are love, God is love, and in you there is no shadow or due to change. We know that you have so loved by sending your Son to be the, the propitiation, the atonement, the sacrifice for our sins. And you've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us even before the foundations of the earth. So we ask that as we open and read and study now this passage of scripture that's before us that um, we would come to know and to believe the love that you have for us and that so abiding in your word we would abide in your love. Abide in you, and you in us. And so we would keep your word, and that love would find its fulfillment, maturity, perfection in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one One of our great Christmas carols is Adeste Fidelis. And it's a great one, isn't it? It's Latin, right? Come, faithful ones, come. Faithful ones, but I have to admit I can't sing that one. But in the back of my mind is "Semper Fidelis." Uh, always faithful. It is a motto of one of the one of the smallest, insignificant uh, military forces. Semper Fidelis, always faithful. And the motto goes, "Always faithful, faithful to yourself, your core, your country." And your God. I'm not sure that the order is in the right way or anything, but I suppose in the context it's fine and fitting. But God, God is the one who is ever faithful. God is the one who is always faithful. He's faithful to himself, He's faithful to His promise, He's faithful to His people. And that's the focus we want to bring as we round out the last couple stanzas of the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 54 and 55. These uh, verses, again, are all kind of intertwined. They're all bringing similar themes together, and it presents a challenge for the preacher who divides them up into four weeks to come up with something a bit distinctive. But we want to focus on God in his faithfulness, our Savior who is faithful. The first stanza, we emphasized his holiness, or we should say the text emphasized the holiness of our Savior. Distinctive in his being, and distinctive in his character. Uh, Then we talked about his mercy, our merciful Savior, a mighty Savior, and now a faithful Savior. Tonight, we'll, we'll look at his worthiness, a worthy Savior. But here we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, even as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Mary has been uh, bringing forth the fullness of her heart, in her theological reflections. This is, these are her devotions. But this isn't, this isn't simply a little tidbit, you know, a, a quick bite of, of word for the day. She's been reflecting upon the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly. And in the moment of meeting Elizabeth, her relative of some nature, and discovering Elizabeth indeed is of old age but pregnant, and Mary herself just barely pregnant, but meeting with one another and both expounding into exaltation of the character and the nature of God who's done great things for them. And Mary's been reflecting upon all this. We don't know how long it took her to get from her home Nazareth to Jerusalem. We don't know how long she waited to leave and go and all those kinds of things. But along the way, she's been pondering in her heart. Twice, this idea of her treasuring up these things is mentioned in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 2, verse 19, and then again in chapter 2, verse 51. And as we'll reflect upon this evening, again, all the the magnificent events uh, in the next part of Luke chapter 2 obviously give her cause to consider, to ponder, what in the world is going on? What in the universe is going on? But we see in this theological reflection, this, this devotion, she actually knows quite a bit of what's going on. the reality is, she doesn't have all of her questions answered. And we ought to take comfort from that. Advent, Christmas, is for those who don't have all the answers. It's for those who are waiting upon the Lord. Advent is awaiting the coming of Christ. And, And we celebrate the first coming, but we... Remember that we are waiting for the second coming. He's coming again. And we're filled with a similar kind of anticipation that Mary and Elizabeth had. Joseph and Zechariah, the shepherds, yeah, even the magi, longing and waiting for his appearing. And so are we. But we have an advantage for he has come once already and he's coming again. But we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers to life. We don't have all the answers theologically. We don't have to. It doesn't mean that faith is unreasonable. It means that we take the evidence that is there and we trust and we wait on the Lord. Trust and wait. Wait is is a significant action. In the Christian life. It's it often, often misconstrued as doing nothing. But waiting on the Lord is everything. And the most important activity in the Christian life. The most important attitude in the Christian life. To humble ourselves and to wait on him. To humble ourselves and re- I don't have all the answers. I don't understand All of the implications. I'm pondering these things. I'm treasuring these things in my heart. I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Till then, help me to wait on you. Until the fullness of revelation. Now, I see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. That's love. 1 Corinthians 13. Real love. A faithful God. He's faithful... uh, First of all, to his servant. And this is uh, itemized in several different ways. He's faithful to his servant, Israel, verse 54. He's faithful to our fathers. He's faithful to Abraham. And he's faithful to his seed forever. Now, my, my translation, the English Standard Version, verse 55, says to his offspring forever. But if, if, you're, if you're willing to scribble in your Bible, just cross that one out and put seed Seed. I, I like the word seed. I mean, offspring is good. But I wish the translation would be consistent. And when it says seed, it would say seed. Everywhere it says seed. Because then you would be able to identify and see the promises of God that are promised. And come to further revelation throughout human history. And then to its fullness in the seed. Jesus Christ. Faithful to his servant Israel, our fathers, Abraham, and, and the seed. And interestingly, the term here, seed, is singular. Those of you that are Pauline scholars, you're already in Galatians. Singular. The seed. The promise that is to come. In Genesis 3.15, uh, God is, is judging. God is cursed. Adam for his abdication. He's cursed Eve for her gullibility. He's now cursing uh, the serpent itself for deception. And and in the midst of this cursing, however, there's a promise. It's an odd promise to us. It's twofold. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to the dragon, and the woman. It's a promise. He goes on. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. promise of a seed of a son that would bring humanity back into the garden back into a, a fellowship with God till then they've been expelled from the garden but also note the promises of enmity and we, we chafe at that a bit like oh war life is a battle Yes. But thank the Lord. If, if God had not put enmity between the dragon and humanity, what would that make us? Allies. Friends. And if we were complete destined as allies and friends of the dragon, then we're completely lost. Without hope. In the world, praise God for His omniscience, his, his sovereign wisdom, to know that if we're to be saved, there needs to be a sense of time of conflict awaiting the seed that is to come. That's Genesis 3:15. Uh, the promise comes again to Abraham, Genesis chapter nine and verse nine. The Lord says to Abram, I will establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. And then it it's repeated to David, 2nd Samuel chapter 22 verse 51 for example. 2nd Samuel 22 verse 51 great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his seed forever. The, the, the promise to Eve, to Abram, and to David. And the promise seems to have gotten forgotten. Um, by, the time, by the time you get to Isaiah, like there's this promise of the Lord that it's going to be cut down. The, the tree of Jesse, there's a mix of metaphors. The, the seed is going is to be cut to the stump. The dynasty of David is, is gone, and Israel has is gone into uh, captivity in Babylon. But here it is. There is yet hope. Isaiah six thirteen. Though a tenth remain, it'll be burned again. The destruction of the city. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The people of God cut off, the dynasty of David cut off, but he goes on, the holy seed is its stump. The holy seed is its stump. I have a tree in the front yard that Dave DeHammer has helped me uh, um, rescue. You know the story, I think. You've told parts of it, it got root bound. Right, the, the maples do this. The, the root begins to grow around the trunk and, and begins to strangle itself. And, and the, the canopy of the tree, I don't know the right terms. You've got to talk to David. It started to, to split down the middle. It was getting weak. And we, he, he, he was able to put a bolt through it and hold it together. But it, it was you know, like empty in the middle of the crown. So I, I went to Harbor Freight no commercial. And I got one of those pole saws. And I went around, I went around a ring, you know, underneath the tree, the canopy, and just kind of cut it off like you're cutting broccolis off. Wally and Dory watched me, and they're like, what is he doing to that tree? He's killing it. Maybe, but it was dying already. I figured I had nothing to lose. And I'd been in Europe, and I'd seen how they, you know, crimped and cut the, the tops of the trees, and I thought... Well, it came back pretty well. There's still an empty spot in the middle. And then, then this last spring, uh, I did a little bit more pruning Well, I didn't quite get that knob cut real well. night, so I trimmed it really close and tight. And that branch died. <laughs> I, I must have cut, you know, its lifeline off. I got a little too close. Made it too clean of a cut. Now I have to cut the whole thing out. Now it's really bald in the middle. At least it will by spring. I hope and I pray That that from that last that last cut that I'll make in the middle and then you know, down lower toward the center and the the, toward the trunk, that maybe maybe there'll be a holy seed in the stump. That maybe maybe from that something will sprout up in the middle and it'll catch up to all the others miraculously, like Jack and the Beanstalk and and it'll be full and vibrant. You're shaking your head. manifoldly worse the hopelessness of Israel the king is cut off the nation is cut off by their own foolishness it it would seem as if there is no hope but the love of God is faithful to his servant And he rounds out that that picture with the holy seed is its stump. And then, by the time we get to Isaiah 11. And verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. There's hope. There's hope. That's what this season is about. We, we have now uh, experienced the shortest day of the year. The darkest day of the year. It starts out dark when you wake up in the morning. And it's dark before you even get home. And you feel the hopelessness. Even today, the canopy over overhanging over us as we drive in. It's ominous. Is there hope? Remind me of of C.S. Lewis. Always winter and never Christmas. Lately, it seems like it's Christmas and never winter. But Matthew's genealogy begins in a in a. Distinctive way. I think we miss it in the way our translations work, but it's literally the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And he goes through then with the, with the genealogy and how in the world he devises his genealogy 14 before and 14 after, up to the Messiah. It's a mystery all his own. Because when you compare with Luke's. It's like whoa this is way different. Nonetheless. The book of the Genesis. Like immediately our minds are going back. To the Genesis. And the promise. Creation. Fall. Redemption. Redemption the book of the Genesis, of Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the one who who brought us into the land and conquered, Yeshua, Christ, Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, son of David, the promise fulfilled. The seed, the son of Abraham. Curious how he orders it that way and then leads into the genealogy. But Jesus is the promised seed, he's the one. And God, the Father, promised to the Son, I'll give you a people. And God is faithful to the promise he gave to his son. And he's brought forth the seed. Seed of the woman. Now, now, those of you that had already been to Galatians, let's let's all go there. Galatians chapter three, and I'll I'll shorten the reading just a bit. I was I, I've been admonished that my first point's always the longest one. It is, I hope. Galatians three, verse sixteen. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, his seed, and it doesn't say to seeds referring to many but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. Verse 25, now that faith has come. Now that faith has come, verse 28, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed heirs according to promise. I am Scandihuvian mostly. I guess it's better to say American because it's a mix. The other 50%. Swedish, Norwegian, and then you name it. Uh, French. Some French fur traders got to South Dakota. Yeah, there's a little bit of Irish in there too. And Welsh and Scottish. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, thanks, Molly. But I, because I belong to Jesus, am allowed into the promise. I'm allowed to engrafted into the stump this scraggly branch, this wild allowed to come into the vine, into the branch. And become part of the promise. An heir to the promise. By faith. Not by biology. By faith. Faith in Jesus. The Son of God. In the flesh. Who came to fulfill the word of God and the promise of God. To bring about the forgiveness of sins. And a restored fellowship with the one who made me. And I want you to be able to enjoy that gift this season. All I want for Christmas is you, Jesus. God is faithful. This Savior is faithful to his servant. And it goes on, he's faithful to his mercy. And we, we spoke about mercy earlier, the second week of Advent. This is an attribute of the perfection of God that Mary ponders in her heart and, and flows forth in her praise, the mercy of God. She, she's awed by this. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is from generation to generation of those who fear him. There's a qualification for his mercy to fear God. Verse 50. The, the fear of the Lord is released by the divine mercy upon those who hear the word of the Lord and yield to it, submit to it. John the Baptist's father, his dad, is later on when, when John's born, uh, sings a similar song and he brings about this, this rehearsal of mercy. Verses 72, 77, 78, and 79. Uh, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And the reach of God's mercy is from generation to generation. And here in this verse today, it says, verse 55, forever. Forever. Mercy is released by God in remembrance of His promise. From generation to generation. Again, oh, the patience of God. We tire of waiting. We're reluctant to be patient, to persevere. We forget the promise. But oh, the great mercy of God that He is slow in His anger. Or patient, as Peter would say. He's not slow as we would count it, but patient, waiting for you. Waiting for you to come to repentance. Oh, we should be so grateful for the patience of God, His mercy. That He didn't immediately cast Adam and Eve into the lake of fire. Yes, they they died that day. But He didn't immediately cast them into eternal punishment. And He's given us several millennia. even, Even waiting for you to be born you glad God is that patient to wait until you were born he's still patient waiting for you to turn to him to receive his gift his son he's merciful because he's promised and he remembers his promise and he gives mercy from generation to generation forever An implication of this, there's no generation gap in the church. We'll have an opportunity to apply these things over the festivities and the parties, won't we? One generation, another generation, another generation, maybe a fourth generation, all together. The good, the bad, the ugly. But God's mercy, God's mercy, is from generation to generation, forever. God is faithful to his own servant, he's faithful to his mercy, and he's faithful to his word. Verse 55, God helps, God remembers, and now God speaks. Verse 55, he spoke. He spoke to our fathers, he spoke to Abraham, he spoke to his seed. He is faithful. He's made a promise. And he's going to keep it. And God has spoken. Can I, can I go to two epic passages? That's why I call them. These epic incarnation passages. They're a little bit extended. But I let the word do the work. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3. It starts out in an epic way, you know. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. You were you made by the Word, and you are sustained by the Word. And the Word isn't merely a verbal pronouncement it is the person of the second of the godhead the eternal son for john chapter 1 the next epic passage god is faithful to his word and sent his word to us john chapter 1 in the beginning was the word The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Not just next to one another. With. Verse 14. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we in him see the face of God. God's faithful to his promise he's faithful to his word and it is this word that has made us alive we've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable by the precious blood of Jesus Christ now w- when we wrap our gifts and we tie the ribbons and make the bows and we attach the gift tag and it says to and from. Maybe it's simple to Nancy from Todd. Or maybe it gets a little cute. To Mrs. Claus from Santa. I'm sorry. you you. you. But the angels the angels. Serve as a singing gift tag. Well, we'll read of them tonight, but the angels sing to the folks that night. Unto you is born this day. Now, obviously, the parents, Mary and Joseph, receive the child, but but the gift is to the shepherds. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. <laughs> the gift is to you from God. And after the angels is joined by the heavenly chorus, praising the Lord glory to God in the highest, which we sang with them. Gloria. In excelsis deo. Glory to God in the highest. A savior who is alone. Worthy of worship. Do you know this savior? This holy, merciful, mighty, faithful savior? It's Jesus. The eternal son of God. Who came to live a life of righteousness. To make you right with God. Let's receive him today. So indeed, Father, we do come in Jesus' name. You are faithful. Our Father God in heaven. You're infinite, you're eternal, and you're unchangeable in your being, your character. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And every, every good and perfect gift is from above coming from you the father of lights with whom there is no shadow no variation no change and all your promises are yes in Jesus and so it's through him we can say amen glory in excelsis deo Glory to you, O God, in the highest. This fourth Sunday of Advent, we reflect upon your gift of love. You sent your Son. You are a giving God. You have always been a giving God. You have always given gifts. And every good and perfect gift is from you. And the perfect gift is your Son. So now, as every family has their thoughts and plans, and every family in heaven and on earth is named by you, Lord, according to your riches and glory, would you grant us to be strengthened with power by your Spirit, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. May we come to believe him, to trust him, To yield to him. To wait for him. And so might we be rooted and grounded in love. To comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That our love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. That We might approve what's excellent and so that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ when He comes again. He's coming. He's coming. Until then, Lord, because You are faithful, because You are loved, might we be faithful and exude love that we be faithful in all of our circumstances and all of our cares our physical trials of sickness disease weakness frailty brokenness pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't well in body we ask that you might bring a wholeness and a wellness to their body that they might serve you that they might love the body one another but if not may there still be a joy and a gratitude of knowing we're fulfilling and accomplishing your purpose and plan and that your grace is sufficient more than adequate more than anything else we need marvelous matchless grace of Jesus We pray for those who are at home, unable to get out much, for those that care for them. We ask your patience and that fruit to be within them and among them, in love. We pray for those that will be traveling these days, this week, to and fro, locally and extended. We pray mercies in that travel. We pray for our families. That as we gather, we who know Jesus would exude his love, his faith, his hope, his peace, his joy. We pray for our missionaries who are in other cultures and other nations and other places. Uh, some have already been well established and have great traditions where they are. And, and others have been there so long that basically that's their home. That's great. Others are newer to the field and this will be a challenge for them. And we ask that you might encourage and lift and grant them the peace of Christ. We especially think of George and Nisi in Brazil and ask that you would uh, encourage them, continue to bring strengthening for George after this uh, this bout with skin cancer. We pray that you would uh, prosper their ministry and field education and theological extension and encouragement of pastors. We pray for our testimony here. And as we would reassemble tonight and celebrate the Nativity, we suspect there will be friends among us and friends who need to hear the story of Christ and that your spirit needs to work life in them. We pray that that be so. You know the concerns that we have in our daily lives, our work, our play... Our vocations and our all vocations, we ask you to meet us there. We pray for the world as we sing songs like "Joy to the world," "Peace on Earth." God might we mean it? And God might you hear the prayers. And one way or another, would your kingdom come? your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in the name of the Son who is faithful and true, might we expect the coming of Christ and in the festivities of Christmas might we be brought near to you in an embrace of your fellowship. For Jesus' sake, Amen.